0: Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit.
1: Welcome to another GeoMob podcast. This afternoon or morning, depending which side of the world you are on, I've got my good friend Will Cadell, the founder of Spark Geo, with me. This is going to be a very special podcast for me because I've known Will for quite a while, and he was one of the very first delegates on a sales and marketing 101 training course that I ran at G in Boston about four years ago. And since then, he's gone on to build this amazing business, Spark Geo. And I sort of like to kid myself that part of that is because of the stuff he learned in my workshop. But actually, I think nowadays, I'm learning more from Will than I taught to him. And certainly today, I think you're gonna learn a lot from Will. Anyway, Will, welcome. Introduce yourself. Hi there, Stephen. Thanks very much. It's,
2: it's all you, Stephen. It's all you. <laughs> Please take all the credit you want. I will do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm Will Cattle. I, I run a company called Spark Geo. We're based in, in Canada. Where a remote team kind of spread across the northern wastes of Canada in various different locations. Central gravity, I would say, is in British Columbia. That's where I am, hence references of time zones, which is a concept I'm, I seem to be always fighting these days. But yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to, to be here today, Stephen. Thanks for the opportunity to chat.
1: So, as our listeners probably can tell, Will, you're not a native Canadian. How does a Scot end up running a geo business in Canada? Well, you know what?
2: Uh, Scots have got a big history of, of of going west. Scotland's quite a small place. Yeah, so I left Canada, uh, sorry, I left Scotland, what, 15, 17 years ago, something like that, uh, for the big adventure. Uh, my wife and I left Scotland to check things out, ended up in Canada, ended up in Western Canada, and largely haven't really gone home yet. I mean, I have three Canadian daughters, so we're... We're we're here for a long time, but we you know absolutely love the country of Canada. We're Canadian citizens. Enjoy going back to the UK occasionally, but very much are based in this area these days. Beautiful British Columbia.
1: But you were working in GIS... Back in the UK, when you were here, weren't you? Yeah, for sure.
2: I did a I did an engineering degree, electronic electrical engineering at Aberdeen. Then I did a, a master's in remote sensing. Uh, from there, I I worked with the Macaulay Land Use Research Institute in Aberdeen as a spatial modeller. A little bit of work with Perth and Kinross Council in their corporate address gazetteer. Because I, you know, for, <laughs> I the, the 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 gig I did with. With Macaulay was amazing <laughs> and super fun, and I thought, "Hey, I'm a GIS guy; I should do municipal work." And you know that that was okay, but uh, I reflect on what I was doing in that in that scientific research role, and and I look back and I think that was a really cool gig. I probably shouldn't have left that anyway. Whatever <laughs> you make decisions when you're young, and you move yeah. on. And so I did that eighteen month thing with Perth and Kinross. and and that was super fun. Perthshire as well. A- lovely spot. I'm a sort of big fan of the mountains, so that was good for that. And then uh, uh, we had hopped on the professional or skilled worker program, I think, Canada, and came over here. And I'd already connected with a few people, so I we, we landed in British Columbia, and within about three days, I had a job. Wow! And yeah, because that's what backwood forestry was hot. So there was a whole bunch of mapping going on. So picking up a job as a sort of GIS analyst wasn't wasn't that hard. I stayed in the forestry sector for five years and then spun up SparkGeo because it felt like it was a good idea to put maps on the internet rather than maps on paper. That's The last 10 years has largely been that, 10 more years.
1: These days. It always fascinates me that there seems to be an incredibly strong core of open source geospatial in Canada. And I think it came out of people like the Forestry Commission and Lots of other Canadian government agencies who were really early backers of Open yeah. Source. well, I, you know, my my first boss was the first boss in Canada. Sorry,
2: was uh, Tyler Mitchell, who was the first executive director of OSGeo. Oh, of course, so he yeah. he he left uh, the position as my manager to to pick up that job. So I remember him saying to me. Hey, Will, we wanted to do some remote sensing, but guess what? We don't have any software for you. Gonna to have to use Python and, and GDAL and, and figure this stuff out. And, and it was quite neat. because we, we actually built some sort of Landsat analysis packages, which, which were sort of entirely based on, on, command line accessible Python stuff, which is interesting because when I did that gig as a spatial modeler from the Macaulay, I'd been doing everything in R, S plus as, as was actually, you know, like R is the open source version of S plus. So, um, and it turned out to be remarkably similar because we were just pushing stuff into NumPy arrays instead of R arrays. So it was kind of it's kind of this funny thing where it's like, oh, like this is really interesting when you're faced with the fact that remote sensing is basically just dealing with numbers in an in an array. And I yeah. I, I will point out that I didn't do well at all in any of my m- matrices math at university, but that's like been my career ever since, which is somewhat ironic. So. having difficulty with math at university there's a there's a reason to stick at it a little bit because sometimes it comes back and helps this notion that you do not need necessarily a gui you do not need an environment other than what you know whatever toolkits might be sort of readily available to solve interesting problems like has been kind of this theme throughout my career which i i think i'm it's very serendipitous frankly, that, that it sort of got laid out that way. So oddly enough, being constrained has allowed us subsequently to think more broadly about, about how we can apply our, our trade in a, our, our trade of geospatial to other markets because you're not constrained in those other markets by the software, if you like. Right. you're able to do whatever you want. So if you're having wildly Interesting data streams coming from other places, you think, oh, I can I can take this and I can I can tweak it and I can turn it around and I can present it in this manner. And it's it's kind of dual-ish. And it's also deeply useful to this interesting segment of the community. So yeah, I think that constraint actually early in my
1: career was actually quite helpful. And you gave me just then a light bulb moment because when you described that process of dealing with an array of data and all of a sudden I could visualize remote sense data as a massive grid of values. And for the first, and I've always sort of seen them as pseudo images, whereas in fact they're values in a grid. And the moment you see them as values in a grid, which you can correlate with a geospatial grid, the whole thing becomes clear. So thanks for that little lesson, Will. So what does Spark Geo do nowadays? Oh, we, do, we do tons of things, but it's all... Don't be modest, all, don't be modest.
2: <laughs> we, it, it, it's all location-focused. So we help technology companies solve location-oriented problems. More often than not these days, we're either building mapping UIs or we are building data pipelines with some kind of, kind of manipulation going on in the middle there. So taking data from a source and piping it through a series of spatial manipulations and then displaying it in some manner is is usually the workflow. But what that data is, how we access that data, and then what manipulations we have to do is is really where the magic is. And it's also, you know, it's all about what whatever our clients are asking us to do. So we work with some pretty large organizations. It, it's it's funny because we've we've found that our sweet spot is working with enormous organizations who are overtly geospatial, but don't necessarily self-identify as such. So when we first worked with some of these big companies i was scratching my head and i'm thinking how can a team of at that point 15 people provide value to a company that you know employs ten thousand people how how does that even work but turns out that we know a lot about a niche which is really interesting to these organizations and and they're more than happy to leverage that knowledge and i'm you know what that's exactly what we're good at so in terms of your initial introduction around business stuff, one of my one of my favorite things to tell people is, you know, stick to your niche because that like where you have focus and where you are, you know, where you have a niche, you actually have enormous opportunity. And and the more that you focus into your niche, the the more you realize that your your market is actually expanding because you understand it more effectively. So it, it, for us, that's that's been tremendously valuable. If we were just a software development shop, then we would be a very small fish in an enormous pond. Yeah. But if we're absolutely focused on what we think of as sort of commercial applications of geospatial, then we're a much bigger fish in a much, 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 much smaller pond. And that really has, has worked out in our favor, I think, in the last
1: year. So, so give me a couple of examples of... Um Projects that you're particularly keen on over the last year or so.
2: So, a lot of the work we do is on behalf of clients. So, I can't really talk about all of the stuff, but mm-hmm. I will talk about some of the partners that we've worked with for a long time. One of which is the Wildlife Conservation Society. We've we've worked with them since I attended a Google Geo for Good conference and met a fella Kim Fisher, who's a wonderful sort of uh, spatial. Uh, developer with WCS there. And we've done various projects with them, notably their Mermaid project, which is a data collection, like online offline data collection app for marine scientists capturing information about coral health. And the, the neat thing is that it's a platform and, and I'm using ear quotes. And uh great thing is that scientists from across the world are putting data into this platform so they can all see the patterns, the kind of global patterns of coral coral reef health. As opposed to just their own work, so and and there's kind of a an ownership model attached to that, if you like. So uh, you can share some bits of the data and the other bits. So scientists get the chance to write the papers based on their their data collected before necessarily sharing it to the the broader audience. Yet that sharing does actually happen ultimately. So there's. There's some really interesting pieces built into that. So that's that's been a a great project that we are working on and continue to work on. We've worked with our friends at Digital Globe, now Maxar, for, I guess, now five years, doing various different bits and bobs. Again, we've worked with nextdoor.com for um, a long time. We, We started off writing some software for them. Laterally, we've been doing some sort of data acquisition and and kind of demographic analysis for them those are the kinds of things and that sort of maybe paints a picture of of the breadth of the the activities that we undertake lots of lots of different things there's now i guess 35 of us in the company so that so we we are doing quite a lot of different projects as you can imagine and it i kind of reflect back to when it was just me for a while there having to do all the things but payroll was a lot less exciting than it is now yeah yeah, yeah
1: it gets to be a great responsibility making the payroll every month you know yeah. and it, when you think yeah. that there's two three people linked to every salary check you know yeah. and all of a sudden you've got over a hundred people dependent on you to keep food on the table and the rent yeah. paid and all of that that's a responsibility calm down steven you're stressing me out yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, you're, and you're hiring still always yeah yeah, yeah. Like, and, and we're also evolving like
2: being being a small company being scrappy we were able to just to get away with a lot of stuff and now as we grow we we're sort of developing a level of maturity i think about how we're organized or mm-hmm. investing more in project management we're investing more in administration, which is something I particularly poor at. So our investment in administration is, is paying enormous dividends and our ability to actually do things, which is which is excellent. But I think as as we grow and we fully intend to grow more, because we've got some we've got some fun ideas and some some good things that I think we're to so some good places, shall I say, that I think we can do more business in the future. As we continue to grow, we'll have to put more structure in place as well. But I think that's that's just a sign of a of a company that kind of takes structure seriously and kind of intends to be around for a while. We don't, Absolutely. we're not in this to to make a quick buck and then get out. We intend to be around. Uh, we intend to have a duration attached to what we do. I think what we do right now is, is actually kind of important. We're at this kind of renaissance of remote sensing, earth observation, but also sort of geospatial in general, whereby we've never had this much data available. We've never had this many eyes on what geospatial can do. And we've never had, I don't think, this much opportunity to demonstrate the the value of digital geography to to broader audiences. And I think it's beholden upon organizations like mine and 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 others in the same neck of the woods to be showing some level of best practice. Obviously, that's a fuzzy concept in an area that has no sort of sense of of best practice, but also has no sense of the inertia that that would create. There is so much speed attached to what we do. There are businesses launching every day. There's new and exciting things happening every day. So being able to take, take what we do, be very focused on delivering as quality of product as as makes sense within the context of, of the
1: project work is is critical for us. Wow. So I' was just thinking there there's if I was going to snip a quote out of this this conversation, you've just given it to me about the pace of the new data that's coming in, the power that it's got and the opportunities that it creates for all of us who've worked in geospatial. And that sort of leads into the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about this morning, Will, which is last year, you gave a knockout presentation at PhosphorG UK. It was a really brilliant presentation. It got massive viewing on the day. It's had lots of video views since then. And despite the fact that I was running around all day organizing the event with my colleagues, that was the one talk that I absolutely made sense. Well, actually two talks, but yours was one of two talks that I absolutely made certain I could get to listen to. And you were talking about creating a geo strategy. And you were really talking to not just entrepreneurs, but you were talking to individuals as well or I felt that you were, you know, anybody who has a career in geo needs to have a strategy for their career. Anyone who has a business needs to have a strategy for their business. And you'll like this because it's always nice when somebody quotes you. You (laughs) said, it's easy to build something because it's fun. But thinking strategically can turn a fun project into a million dollar business. We should do more of that. Well, I absolutely agree with you, Will. We should do more of that, you know. And I think particularly in the open source community, from time to time, we sort of push the business side out into the fringes because it's not important. It's all about the code and the technology and everything. So, you know, you and I agree on this. And I just thought it would be good if you could elaborate on Your thoughts on why it's important that we have a strategy, and how that That relates to individuals as well as businesses. I think the neat—I've been
2: thinking a lot about strategy recently, Um, and I think the neat thing—and the the neat thing about strategy—is I'm always deeply envious of people who seem to know what it is that they want, Uh, like the end goal. I want—I really want this—and I've always been more of a kind of, hey, there's a spectrum of things that could happen here. I'm, I'm just going to follow the best path. And I think Isaiah Berlin talked about this notion of foxes versus hedgehogs. So the hedgehog can only really do one thing. It knows how to roll into a ball and stick up its spikes and say, go away. But the fox, fox can do a lot of different things. Fox can choose. It can be wily. It can be cunning. And, you, you know, so different people approach the world, it you know, either as a hedgehog Or as a fox. I think that's a really interesting thing to hold into your head when you're sort of approaching, approaching how to think strategically, because the fox is thinking through these series of events. If I do it this way, then this is gonna happen, that's gonna happen, this is gonna happen, that's gonna happen. And then we're gonna have we're gonna end up there. If I do it this other way, we're gonna end up over there. Which is the way I want to end up? What do I want as my end goal? And having this notion of an end goal and a desired outcome is really good. I think for the first quite a number of years, probably probably five years, the uh, like Spark Geo was more of a, it, we, we didn't, because we're not a product company, we didn't have an intent. We were just, hey, if people want to build Geo stuff, we can help them build Geo stuff. And that was cool. But now we're at this place where we have more of an internal sort of strategy as regards what it is that we want to do, who it is we want to work with, and how, we want to do business as an organization. And we've always been flexible and we always will be flexible. But ultimately, as a remote organization, we think about ourselves in terms of providing services to others. That's great. When we provide services to others, we help them deliver technology and we learn things ourselves. But the neat thing about us and the thing that we know that other people don't know is the fact that we understand what's happening in automotive. We understand what's happening in big ag. We're, uh, we're very keen to understand what's happening in finance. We spend a lot of time with earth observation companies. We spend a lot of time with social network companies. We spend a lot of time with like big tech. So we see a whole bunch of different verticals and we've created structures internally into one of, in, in our organization to allow for conversations to happen between those people working in different verticals. So the thing that we know that other people don't know is how to how to cross-pollinate geospatial ideas. So what's happening in automotive, and is that relevant to big ag? Actually, probably, because they all involve machines that need to move, and some of them need to move without people in them. So there's, there's really interesting things around strategy. And so we're applying that to ourselves. We also have other elements to sort of our strategic approach one is that we're never going to touch real estate that's really powerful for us it saves us money but it also allows us to hire from a much bigger pool of talent and it allows us to work anywhere we want because we're not linked to a particular location which is a little bit paradoxical with the business that we're in but uh, so we've developed this strategy over time and i would if i was approaching a new business now i would have i would thoroughly encourage people to think much more deeply about the, what they want to achieve at the end. And it's really hard to do that because a lot of people, all they want to achieve is just to pay the mortgage. And that's cool. And we shouldn't dispute that. And, they, and we shouldn't get in the way of that. But that's a different thing from wanting to deliver a particular product or or deliver a particular service or change a process. And, and the thing that's really bugging me these days, Stephen, uh, and so I, I've got to a place in my career where people just bug me and uh, not bug me. People contact me and ask for advice. And I think that's wonderful. And I'm, I'm, my, my door is always open for that kind of stuff, but you'll have had this too. How many times has someone come to you saying, I've got this technology. Can you, can, can you think of any use cases for us? Can you think of, can, and, and I'm, and, and the first thing I say to them is you shouldn't, you, you know, come to me with the, the problem. And then we'll talk about the solution. Don't come to me with the solution uh, for me to tell you about where the problems are. Yeah. May, like you, you, you've got the equation the wrong way around. We need to rebalance this equation. Maybe what you've created is useful to a, a wide number of people. That's great, but you don't understand any of those people. You understand this technology. You've got this enormous, so this is what I call the geospatial product trap. It's like. You're an innovator, that's great. I, I appreciate your innovation. But you need to, to fall in love with the problem, not fall in love with the technology.
1: Quite right. And if you remember when when I taught that class, I taught you know, I centered the class around the value proposition canvas, yeah. which requires you to understand the customer, understand their pains, and then work out how you can. Resolve those pains and then maybe give them something that is actually a gain on top. But but fundamentally, you have to find and understand your customers' problems before you start designing the solution. You're absolutely right. And and then when you have these geospatial companies, and
2: I I was in this trap, uh, so I'm deeply familiar with what this feels like. You feel like, oh, we can work everywhere. Well, you know what? If you're a services company, sure, maybe you can work everywhere. But if you're a product, you cannot work everywhere because you do not have the engineering team, you do not have the sales and marketing team, you do not have the empathy to be able to build and sell a product that is useful everywhere. No one's got that, and not even I'd like and, and there's some enormous companies who struggle with this problem because they feel they can, but. When you're building a product as opposed to a service, when you're building a product, you really need to be able to sort of, your engineers need to be able to live and breathe the product as do your product people. And then your salespeople need to be able to sort of walk in the shoes of those people who are experiencing the problem so they can easily describe how your solution is going to, is going to fit and meet their problem. Well, if, if you have the page on your website that says, Look at all the different verticals that we, that we can operate in. Then you don't. Yeah. Then you don't understand your problem. All you're doing is demonstrating that you have a particular technology that might be suitable for a thing. And then if you're if you're in the situation where you're an EO company and you have those verticals, then you have to realize that almost everyone in those verticals doesn't want a pixel. They want something else. Like the pixel is 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 a transaction you need to turn the pixel into something useful the pixel is not the end result the pixel does not solve any problems unto itself the pixel is just is this thing that we interpret into a solution in some manner so the actual problem is being solved by the interpretation not by the pixel the pixel is potentially a root and if you If you fall in love with the pixel, then perhaps, and you you should always consider that perhaps you're going to be the blockbuster of content. Like, because you've fallen in love with the way that they, like, blockbuster fell in love with VHS, and they fell in love with, you know, stores, like iconic storefront, and then they're just gone because they, in the end, didn't fall in love with, you know, providing content in in the same way that Netflix did. So I, I, I think we I think we'll see that in geospatial. Those people who are vertically integrated and focusing on a problem, I think, will be in a really good spot. Those people who are just selling pixels, unless they're going to build a robust set of partners, which is a great way out of the trap. I think there I think there's some interesting times ahead for those organizations.
1: Yeah, but if I think if you're a corporation that's investing hundreds of millions of dollars. In putting satellites up into to orbit with the sort of latest high tech sensor equipment, whatever it might be, on those satellites, and you're generating petabytes or whatever of data on a daily basis. Yep. Then what you need is a network of partners who understand how to turn those petabytes of data into valuable intelligence and solutions for. Clients in agriculture, clients in mobility, transport, health, environment. Absolutely. And and just as I start to reel those that list off, you know, and I can imagine, you know, that the list goes on and on and on of the use cases, what you realize is that each of those use cases requires a team of people who really understand the problems in, you know, Automatic spraying of fertilizer or um, (laughs) detecting coral erosion or surveying for whatever else it is, you know, or insurance damage assessment. Absolutely. And geospatial people have this notion that the
2: geospatial piece is the entire solution and it almost never is. No. I think in the defense sector, the, the geospatial piece, the image, can be the entire solution. Like, oh, this is what this place looks like right now. That's useful information. I understand it. Move on. In most other business sectors, that's not very geospatial.
1: No, that's not not. very geospatial. That's just a picture. Exactly. You know, and I mean, back in the First World War, we flew aeroplanes with cameras over the trenches and people poured over those pictures the next day to see what kind of defenses were there. It wasn't particularly geospatial in the way that we're talking about. No, No, and,
2: and I think that's fascinating. And I think we're in this really interesting position right now that so you talked about a petabyte a day. Capella is talking about 10 petabytes a day by 2024, so that's one company, 10 petabytes a day. That is an astonishing amount of data flow. So we can only imagine that in the, to- the total data flow coming out of low lower Earth orbit would be something closer to 100 petabytes, if not 1,000 petabytes. So with that kind of data flow, no human is, no team of humans are possibly able to accrue any kind of value from that. It's gotta be machines, it's gotta be cloud, it's gotta be enormous scale and it's gotta be a lot of ML to, to start looking for those interesting pieces of change. So there's there's such an amount of interesting technology and interesting businesses that are going to be based on this notion of how we quantify landscape change and human activity, and then how we deliver that into various different market verticals in, in a meaningful way. And I think so I think the opportunity for geospatial people is absolutely enormous right now. Absolutely enormous. I just want to help people understand that thinking strategically and actually focusing, rather than thinking, oh, we're going to win this entire market. No, you're not, you're not going to do that. But if you focus, you can win this one. And once you've figured out this one, you can do that one. And once you figured out that one, you can do the next one. So do it Focus in, be as they say, laser focused. Air quotes again.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, laser focused on something, do it really well, and then move on to the next thing, the next thing, and next thing, and next thing. Or leverage a bunch of partners and royalties. And we haven't even gone on to algorithmic pricing of pixels, which is a, <laughs> a, another th- another soapbox I could I could get onto, but I'll, but I'll, I'll save you that. For next I'm going <laughs> to
1: I'm going to have to draw you to a close because yeah. we're running sort of towards the end of our time and we've got so much more that we could have talked about, so much more that we wanted to talk about, which means that we're gonna to have to get you back, Will, for another another time and we'll talk about pricing pixels and some other things in that area. Wonderful. Before I do that, how can people get in touch with you?
2: Uh you drop me an email, will at I am available on Twitter at geo underscore will. Right. Those are probably the best ways.
1: Okay. And I'll put those links uh, into the show notes. I also would tell people, if you're interested in what Spark Geo are doing, go to sparkgeo.com and I'm not going to try and read it out, but we'll put the YouTube link up so that people can watch that superb talk that you gave about strategy. There's a lot more that we never got a chance to talk about, but we have to finish. Everything has to come to an end. Will, thank you so much for talking to us this morning, your time, this afternoon, my time. Take care, my friend. See you soon. Bye. It's been an absolute pleasure. See you soon. Bye.
0: Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMO podcast. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website which is at thegeomob.com while you're there if you're not yet on the mailing list please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events summarizing past events and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest you can also of course follow us on twitter where our handle is geomob you can follow steven at steven feldman you can follow me at freifogel you can check out mappery at mappery.org And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.